So this is Brian Frank, a uh, local photographer, born and raised in San Francisco. Uh, he's based um, at Santa Rosa now, teaches at Santa Rosa Community College, Junior College. Yep. And um, uh, he also runs the Tacit Eye Workshops, which is a documentary, long-form documentary workshops that are super awesome. And uh, he's a Catchlight Fellow, the first catch, one of the first Catchlight Fellows. Um, he specializes in working on really kind of very long-term, these big, long, meaty, juicy projects, working uh, workers' rights, the environment, labor, um, what else? Uh, yeah, I mean, social justice, social labor, justice. everything. I think most of what I do has has to do with labor in different ways, how it relates to criminal justice, how it relates to unionization, how it relates to the climate. Like, yeah, I think that's the through line, though. Yeah. And so we are super, super lucky to have him here. Um, his work is fantastic. Um, he's a super smart photographer. And having worked both as a photographer, just like, like I said, just really hustling to get work, but also working on long four projects and working on workshops. He's kind of like the whole, the whole ball of wax. He can, he's a great teacher and like really still in the trenches and uh, he can help answer any questions you have. Uh, he's a fantastic photographer, like I said, and um, thanks for coming, Brian. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Much appreciated. Yeah, go for it. And I'm just going to prequel with, I had ear surgery three weeks ago, so I feel like I'm talking in like a weird tunnel. I don't know if I'm talking too loud or too soft, but just bear with me, okay? We might not hear you on this side of the room. Um, but yeah, I am a, I'm a photojournalist by trade, so, you know, that's my main gig. I do, I love teaching, though. I teach at the JC up north in Santa Rosa. Um, I teach kind of a doc class like you guys are doing right now. So I understand the stress y'all are under right now, too, because um, my students will be feeling it soon enough. Um, but yeah, let's, I, I just want to, let's see, let's get this booted up real quick. Hopefully it just goes. Mark gave me a great intro, so you, I think you guys kind of already know what I'm into, but this is my favorite picture of all time. I just have to throw that up first, no matter what. This is the day my son was born. This was six years ago, um, and I just can't start any talk without showing that <laughs> for, no, for no reason other than it makes me smile. So that's Quinn, um, otherwise known as Teo, and that's how he looks now. So the last, uh, over the summers, and I'll show you some pictures, but I teach a workshop up on, up on some native lands, up in Hoopa tribal lands up north. And my son has been kind of like our, like he's been my helper this last summer. He started helping me teach. He's got his camera there. So he's, it's been really fun. Um, but that's kind of a way I stay motivated um, to just kind of make art is like by doing stuff like that with him. Um, you know, speaking of motivations, um, one of the things that <clears throat> makes what I do, um, what ma the thing that makes it just, one of the things that makes it crazy interesting to me and always has, is this idea that we can speak with the visual language with folks and people can speak a completely different language and yet they can still be affected emotionally by something that we present them. Um, it's a, it's a, it's, even if they have a completely different background, visual language crosses barriers, right? So like, you know, this is, when I'm about to do a project, I look at um, different genres of art that, um, that affect me emotionally, that kind of, and, and I look for the feelings that I want to affect in other people. Um, so when I was about to start a project I'm about to show you, which is about faith, I was looking at these old, like, Baroque pieces. Um, this is just the stuff that I ended up landing on. Um, and, you know, 
the, and I was kind of like being compositionally and emotionally inspired by this work, the way that they use light in these pieces. And then I was like, and I was listening to different types of music that were also helping me kind of get into this mindset of how I wanted to translate an issue of faith in the migrant worker community, which is um, the piece I'm going to show you that I worked on primarily. All of the work that we're about to look at, um, I kind of consider this just like my last year in my life. It isn't necessarily a year like end to end 12 months, but I would say it's about a year of work. Um, and it's a big, wide range. Um, you know, there's, I had a, this being chapter three of a very long project that I've been working on for f over five years um, called East of Eden. And I mostly was, my, my personal work was focusing on <clears throat> this chapter called Light Inside the Temple, um, which was, I got a grant from, uh, it was Nash, Nat Geo and Four Freedoms. And I kind of, I, it, it continued a through line of my work from way back when, when I was working on a story about the Colorado River and how uh, the taking of the water was affecting farmers on the Mexican side of the border. And I was photographing, um, I was really into this idea that, um, that like, that the migrant worker was like the new Oki that was like coming in the Dust Bowl era. So like, I was really being influenced by, you know, Steinbeck um, and listening to like, music from that era, et cetera, and looking at like FSA photos, okay? Um, and just trying to make a connection for folks between this old like, this common history that we have as like Americans of like, oh, well people came and, the, and they did all this labor and that that is still happening today and, I, and it's just different folks doing it. Um, so this is just a chapter from that work. Um, this part, <clears throat> the idea for this chapter came about during COVID. Um, one of the things that I noticed during COVID was that there was the, a lot of the faith institutions had to basically fill huge gaps in the migrant worker community because folks couldn't rely on the government for, for services. They couldn't even, people were afraid to go to the hospital because uh, they didn't want to get deported. People still had to go to work, but the schools were closed, right? Um, so, you know, all of a sudden the church became this crazy important place, already was very important spiritually, um, culturally in this, in this community, but now it was also like very tangibly important and like you could drop your kids there and go work in the field, right? Um, so this was just this little church. This is Nuevo Pacto. This is where the idea started. Um, and there's, you know, it's surrounded by, <clears throat> by fields, okay? Um, I really wanted to, at some point I started like, you know, I wanted to kind of look at a bunch of different facets of this issue um, and show how there was this big blend between, you know, evangelical Christianity and also this like old, like, importance of Catholicism, but which was tied up with colonialism inside of this community. Um, but also... I started finding out, I go in with a lot of questions and I try not to have, I try to like just basically be ready to blow up any prejudice I have when I'm going into any project. That's like, that's pretty much, I have strong opinions about shit, right? Just like probably everybody in this room. But the thing that I have found is that my work gets better when I'm ready to be wrong about everything. That's just what I've found. Um, so, you know, 
I started finding out about a lot of these really cool like Catholic churches that were allowing for union organizing and like I had a very like my idea going in was that it was a very you know it doesn't mean that the history of colonialism is wrong but there's also you know all of that history happened and it's terrible and bloody and disgusting but there was also these like really activist priests that were doing really cool shit like like helping organize workers so you know that this is from one of the main churches um, Catholic churches that was doing that work I think images like this, um, you know, when I showed you some of those, those paintings in the very beginning, um, I was being kind of heavily influenced by some of those big, baroque, wide, big, giant, wide, booming paintings I was looking at. I kind of started seeing everything in this, like, super wide way, and I wanted to represent um, kind of the industrialization of people um, and show it this, this is actually a factory where they evangelize the workers, so that's how it fits in to the story. Um, on these workers' lunch breaks, they get like evangelized, which I found to be very strange. Um, but you know, I'm there to take photos and share what's going on. So, um, but yeah, all these people were having to work elbow to elbow during COVID, um, which was like, you know, really scary for people. And then this was kind of in the height of the pandemic. Um, this was like when people were dying at a very high rate in, in uh, and they were telling the churches they had to be closed down, but churches were opened anyways um, because they kind of felt like they had to be. Um, so there was a very weird tug of war there going on. So this is one of the last pictures I actually made in my piece, even though we have more to look at, but um, I really was having, sometimes I find that when I start a project, it can be like a big floodgate. Um, and I'm just making tons of photos because I have all these ideas and everything's new. Um, and then it really starts getting like harder and harder as I get towards the end, as I'm like figuring out some things I really want to say and I'm having trouble visualizing those things for people. Um, I was finding it really hard <clears throat> to show the tie with like, with colonialism and the Catholic Church and, and, and how that has affected this community. And like this image for me kind of summed that up. Um, this is a dancer from, from an indigenous southern state of Mexico. And this group gets invited to the traditional um, Christmas celebrations, actually, which I, which I was like shocked by because you think it's like a devil, right? But the dance that this group does is all about how someone from their village um, would, would rather make a deal with the devil than with the colonizing Spanish. So I thought that was just really interesting. And I loved how they were still folded into the traditional, like very like traditional Catholic Christmas. Um, and yet that was the message that their dance had. So it was, you know, I thought a really important photograph to make. Um, and it, you know, took like multiple trips. And, you know, I'm trying to find just from a strictly logistical standpoint, like from, you know, how do I make this picture? Um, there's all the questions of access and building connections in the community and having people invite me. But, you know, I was there, like, actually for multiple days, but this day I was there, like, all day. This, the celebrate, like, the cel I'm invited to the celebration, I have all these pictures that just aren't really gonna count for much in my project. And then this is, like, the end of the thing, like, outside like on the way out. And a lot of times that's how it works is you just gotta stay till the bitter end to really get that photo. And now that's kind of what happened here. 
So this is Petra. Um, I found myself really gravitating towards photographing some of the abuelas, like some of the grandmas in the community, because they were this real connection to the to like strength and the homeland. And I just found it so interesting, like the conversations that we would always have were about their kids who were police and firemen and teachers. Um, and, you know, and also that Petra here just holds this real place of like, she's just, she's very revered inside in this, in this community in general. Um, so this is a portrait at her home in her backyard. And it took a lot of trips to church with Petra to get um, a portrait session with her. I think something that maybe isn't always taught in like traditional, like definitely not in the traditional like news photo gathering class. Um, when you're doing longer period pieces that I feel like you really have to look for these images that let a story breathe. Like, this isn't necessarily the most, like, you know, like, ton of information in the middle of the picture, but water's very important in the valley. But this photo, to me, lets us transition from one place to another. Um, it helps us have a mood. Um, it's backed up. It sets a stage. Um, it lets us kind of, it reminds us where we are. Um, but it lets us, it really lets us kind of continue moving through the images, okay? Especially when we're not doing a photo story that is, Joe does this, this, and this. Because there are traditional ABC narrative ways to tell a story visually, okay? But this is a broader way to look at broader topics when we're doing this type of bigger piece, right? I'm sure Mark has spoke with you guys about light. I'm just, I'm all about light and how it sets, how it sets mood. I'm a big um, fan of cinema and I use a lot of backlight as you can see. I think it's always like, it's almost the, the opposite of the intuitive of like, you know, it's like we're shooting, it. you'll see me shooting straight into that light quite a bit, right? Which gives this really nice rim light, but body language becomes very important whenever you're doing that. But it allows for, for a certain type of mood to be set. But consistency of lighting, whether whatever that light is that you like, I think is the important thing. This just is the type of light that I like, um, at least for this piece. But I'm constantly trying to keep that consistent throughout because that light helps maintain a mood throughout as well. And again, I'm being influenced by kind of the, the, those art pieces that I showed you, right? That heavy light fall off with the Baroque paintings. This is, um, this is another picture that took me all day to get. Um, it was following a quinceanera from church, which is the church where they did a lot of union organizing. But then we got invited to go to the quinceanera, and I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. This is so fun. Um, and it's across the street from where everyone worked in the fields. Um, and then, you know, I, but I'm still kind of like trying to find that one image that fits into the broader piece, like stylistically and content-wise because everyone here is, is a farm worker that just got off work. I started seeing a lot of red with like, just generally speaking visually because of the paintings I was looking at. Red being such an important kind of like religious symbol. Um, so this actually, this is a priest that, um, I can't remember his, how to pronounce his name. He came from, he came from Africa 
and learned several, he was in the process of learning several um, indigenous languages in order to be able to help uh, workers organize in the valley, which I thought was super interesting. So, I, but I, you know, to me, I'm still trying to f find an image of him that provides some emotional impact, and then like, and then I can also provide you that kind of story about him, right? I think like the, it's almost like the, you know, I work with writers a lot, um, both professionally in the field and also I teach writers in my class. The writer, like the writer, like wants to just see. Like, the writer brain is like, give me just the information about what that person does. But that's not what we really do. We're like, I think, you know, as photographers, as photojournalists, I'm a photojournalist, right? I'm like, I'm, I am, I'm part artist. I'm, I'm all journalist as well. But I'm trying to, like, elicit emotional response with my images is what I'm trying to do. And then I'm giving you factual information, right? So that's kind of how I see my task. Um, but it's bridging these kind of gaps um, where it's not just all, f all fact, all straightforward all the time. It's not like people doing things. It's like, what is the feeling of what that person does and how do I translate that visually is more what I, how I would describe what I do. This is a more factual image. Um, you know, this is actually outside of that same factory where everyone was working elbow to elbow, how I said that folks get evangelized, right? So this is kind of like, they were, these guys were like, we're going to have a barbecue. You have to come. Um, and we're going to do some like preaching at you so then everyone can get chicken after, which was like strange to me. Um, but that, that's what this was about. Um, you know, and so that's kind of what's happening here. Again, these are like transitional images, right? I think it, you have to remember, I would call this a detail. Um, there's a few ways to, sh to shoot details, like the, tr the classic way of just like really tight on something, really shallowed up the field, like getting right in on that Mary and shooting super tight. But this is still a detail. This is like a, a nice, calm, still life that just helps me move from photo to photo and keeps the same mood going and also tells me something about the people that we're photographing. And the way that I have the verticals next to each other is intentional because it helps I don't shoot a lot of vertical, but I'm pairing these images purposefully in order to help me visually process them and help you visually process them, right? So, you know, to me, the, the spacing of the verticals going together is intentional. Um, I'm not, you know, and anything I'm telling you is my opinion subjective, um, but that's just how my brain works. Um, and it, it helps me kind of flow through the images in a way that doesn't, where they don't break up. Even the color palettes, right? When I'm doing my editing on this, I have a similar color palette here of like I'm sticking with green. It's a similar green and it helps us move into the next image. I've, I play around with kind of like throwing a little bit of text in here and there just to kind of remind me why, why it helps me transition into maybe the next part of the chapter. I loved the idea of this glittering instrument of the human soul. And then we have Lola with her, with her Guadalupe. Um, she was awesome, um, big time labor organizer, and this was her at her church. For Lola, it was very important. Um, 
Her faith was super important to her because she can't travel home because she's undocumented. Um, and so it's like her tie to her family is, is her Guadalupe, you know? It's her faith. Like, it's like she literally can't see her family. This father, whose name is escaping my brain, but he was, uh, he actually started as a, as a teenager working with the FARC in Colombia in the jungles and then now organizes uh, labor in the valley. And this was him with his Guadalupe. And he was very hard to get to sit for a photo as well. It took days and he, I had to keep showing up and keep showing up. And then finally, I literally was knocking on the door at his like his house that they give him at the, at the church because I just wasn't going to take no for an answer. I felt bad, but I was like, man, I need your picture and I need to like get some audio of you. And he finally like just was like, fine. <laughs> Came out and like, let me do my thing. He's like, you're not going to leave me alone, are you? I was like, nope, not. But that's kind of what it takes sometimes when you really want to get, you know, you really need someone's picture. You got to be real tenacious. And after that, he was so cool. Like, I mean, I could hit him up now and People can just be worried about having their photo taken sometimes, you know? And I didn't want to like force him, but I felt like he was a very important figure in that community. So like, I think your average person, I'm not gonna, I really try to operate under um, the mentality that I'm there for them. And if they want to be photographed, that's what I'm there for. But when you're, there's specific people, you know, like this priest who's a big, important person, like I'm gonna be a lot more tenacious, right? I really want to get him and try to get him to do it. Um, but I would say most people, um, first of all, most people say yes when I'm going to photograph them. Um, and then a lot of people are excited about it and happy because they feel important. Um, so like a lot of the time, um, it's really more, I would say any like nervousness is our own self-censoring of like being afraid to put our camera in someone's face because it can feel really unnatural. But generally speaking, when people understand what you're doing, you know, you explain what you're out there doing with folks. Um, and especially when people see you multiple times and get a little bit comfortable, you know, you do, I, I don't go out and just start blasting away. I hang out without taking pictures a lot. And so eventually, a lot of times people are like, well, why don't you take my photo? I'm like, let's go, you know? So it, it ends up working that way pretty often. <clears throat> um, this was an image that, excuse me, I'm drinking a little water, my throat's dry. So I have a question. Yes, please. Um, the priest mm -hmm. not want you to take his photograph because he was worried that somebody from his past would see it? Or? No, and I definitely, I definitely don't want to do any harm to anyone, right? No, he just was annoyed. He was just sick of me bugging him. Um, he wasn't afraid of anything. He's a very public figure. Um, and so like, and again, I think I'm going to quasi harass a public figure more than like just Joe Schmo. like anyone who like is trying to, like there's plenty of field workers who are like, I I'm undocumented, I, you know, I don't want my, I can't have my picture taken. I'm like, no problem. And, and I get sent on assignment sometimes to photograph with undocumented folks where I'm like, we don't want to use your, we don't want to show your face, even though you're okay with it, unless you really want me to, because it's empowering for you then I'll be that instrument for you. But I will talk people out of it because maybe they don't understand the danger of that. Um, you know, but these are all ethical conversations that I have with myself, with my colleagues, with editors I'm working with. 
and then over you know years I have pretty good grasp on you know on what I am okay with like you know like I have to be able to look myself in the mirror right but no the priest he was just like he was just sick of me asking him and I was kind of like I kept trying to bug him it wasn't any like there wasn't any he's yeah he's he's in the news all the time you know um this was at uh, the first church that I showed you. So this is actually the kids like um, being able to gather there at night, being provided kind of a safe place to kind of just hang out. Um, for, for me to be allowed to photograph with juveniles like this, I mean, they had to see me for months and months and months, okay, before someone's going to trust me to do that, right? Um, so, you know, again, these projects don't just happen. There's a lot of days spent hanging out, not taking photos. I mean, I would say... It's probably like for me, it's like maybe two to one, like days I'm there not really making work and then a day that something is working out. Um, you know, and so, and, and there's definitely a lot more time spent in the beginning with just getting people used to my presence. Um, those, and some of those kids actually wanted me to then go to this, which was like a big evangelical like concert. Um, so, you know, as, you, as I spend more and more time, people start kind of like being like, oh, you should come photograph this, come check this out. Again, kind of transitional image, right? And it's reminding us kind of where we are. I was trying to get something a bit industrial to show, you know, because this isn't, the valley's not all just rural. It's also like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of industrial waste and there's a lot of like urban environment as well. So, you know, this is kind of a pace setting image, I would say, and also an overall and a scene setter. I just loved the symbolism with the body language in this of kind of, it's almost like with the cross. Um, that's just how it felt to me because this is about faith and then he's like looking up to the heavens. So a lot of times it's that body language, right? And then with my sequencing here, I'm kind of visually trans translating that to you with the crosses right after it. So that's kind of why like, I think you guys are working on projects. Like, you know, you can think in terms of like that when you're putting your pictures together and your pairings, okay? So like, you know, these, to me, these feel right together because of that. There's also kind of a similar, like, like bit of like a brown, like brown green to it. These are, this is actually the wall in, uh, in Cesar Chavez's house. Um, so these are crosses that were given to him, or I'm sorry, they were given to his wife. Um, and she would collect them. Workers would give them to her, and they would keep them on the wall. And they're making this into a national monument, um, but they're still working on COVID kind of stopped the, 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 the process, but they're probably back to it. They're turning his house uh, where he lived and died into a national monument. So, but I got access to photograph in there after um, working for a long time to get that access. And then this, to me, was the image from that space that was important. This is one of the primary labor organizers from that Catholic church. And you see where I'm making my portrait? I'm getting into intimate spaces, right? This is like the places that people don't normally get to see. I don't want to just photograph him. Like, and you know, even if, you know, the image that the magazine used was the like traditional image, and that's even Nat Geo. Like, they used him like doing a sermon. So I had to get that photo too. But I really wanted an image that like showed like his character and his personality. So 
That's how I explain it a lot of times when I want to photograph people and they think it's like, because otherwise it's weird. It's like, where do you want to photograph? Well, in your room. Like, is that, I mean, that sounds weird, but this is where, this, this is where he has things about himself that are personal to him, right? So now like we can see things from his life. Like we can spend time and we can look through. And that's why to me, that's where I wanted to photograph that. So it's all these little things tell us about him, right? It, tell us whether, it tells us whether he's an organized person. It tells us, you know, like it tells us, and you can see he even has like a little like, that's like a, that's like more of like an old school like Santeria Mary right there. Like, um, so he has like things from different aspects of the religion in his room, which I just think is really cool. It's kind of like a moment in between where he's like getting ready for sermon. So like I shot some formal portraits, but then I'm also like a lot of times I find that the best photo will just kind of come unexpectedly. So I'm kind of always like I'll shoot the one I shoot what they expect and then I hang, you know, like because he wanted the straight like boom, like he, he liked being on camera. So, you know, like we put him in the window, window light, clean background. Cool. Look at that. It's awesome. And then, you know, and I was like hanging for another 15 minutes while he's getting ready. And then he just like started, I think he was like saying his sermon to himself about to go out. And I was like, oh, I love it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like where I got my photo. And he's not really paying attention to me, you know. Again, this was just that kind of mix of like indigenous community and the Mary and the Catholicism. I just thought was important to, to show. And I'm, I'm like on the ground here, right? Literally on the ground. Um, I'm shooting up with a slow shutter to have all this nice motion. Um, but yeah, the changing of angle can make for really dramatic effect on your photograph. No, so this is all natural light, all these images. Um, there's no strobe, no nothing. So it's I, very, this act technically is a very hard photo to make because I, I had a lot of blurry pictures. I'm sitting on like a spot of light and there's nothing going on in that spot, right? But I'm just like, this is the only spot that's gonna work for me. And then I'm waiting for a moment to happen in that light. So it's called a photo trap. Um, because I know that this is the only spot because like everywhere else is just pitch black, right? Or at least if there's light in other places, it's not interesting. Or this was the only place where I was maybe gonna get a moment and like, and the light was right. So like, yeah, I was sitting, sitting, sitting. And then like, I even on either side of this picture, is blurry but I like got one that was sharp enough um, and yeah it's just because there's like a spotlight coming just there I mean you know I'm hand holding it at like probably like a fifteenth of a second or something and you know this is and so generally speaking I mean you know we have there's you know there's basic there we shoot at dawn and dusk I mean more or less that's like when I'm out there taking photos if you'll notice this is like, I'm, I'm up before the sun, and I'm photographing as the sun's coming up, and then midday is drinking hour for photographers. There's nothing that we do there at that point. That's what we call it, because the light's horrible, okay? You can go indoors, shoot with window light, but yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I'm getting all my work done early and late. That's like, that's when I'm getting the light I want. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I love shooting super early. People are just kind of over you. They're just getting, they're like starting their routine. They're like, I don't care if you're here. Haven't even had my coffee yet, just whatever, do, what you're, do your thing. And, and you get just gorgeous light, right? So this is right at sunrise. But, I, but here I was very much looking for like a closer for my piece though. Like mentally speaking, I was trying to find kind of a wrap up photo that was like a closer. 
It's that like off walking into the sunset, right? It's the like, that's kind of what was going on in my head. So that's kind of the edit <clears throat> that I wanted to share with you from that project. Yes. So yes, this just recently published in Nat Geo. Um, it was I can't remember what they titled it, but yeah, it was faith, faith in faith in the valley or something like that. I can I'll I'll give you guys uh, my website, and then you can probably like find it with Google. You know, if you have my name and more or less. Yeah, I would like to do. I mean, I think it's really important when you're doing work like this. Like it's funny because I think we put a lot of focus on like getting published, right? Like, I mean, it's cool that the magazine published the work, but the reality is, is that for me, like what I'm gonna do with that work in the community is much more important. So like the, you know, I want to do, I have a plan to do a show in Mexico City and then bring all those prints to the Valley and, work, and, and do a show in the community center. Um, and then hopefully do something at one of the churches. Um, and when, y'all are gonna talk about business later, when it comes to getting funding for this type of thing, you better have some ideas like that. It's really important to think about what you're going to do with that work. Um, I think like, you know, when we're at, when we're in school, it's like, I get it. Like, we're like, we just want to publish, publish. That's like where all the attention is. And that, but that is just one piece of a puzzle. If you're going to do, especially if you're going to do a longer form project, it takes like a lot more than just the publishing partner. It takes like a lot of other, you have to really start thinking outside the box and having other ways to distribute your work that are interesting. Um, I did criminal justice work for years where I did very long form projects with like with juveniles and like and and adults as they were incarcerated as they got out and the plan was you know we did a show at uh, down at the jail in downtown San Francisco right like that's a cool place to do a show like that because people you actually are like affecting change because people are coming there you know the DA is seeing it every day you know like so like to like having different ways to show this work it becomes very important when you're talking about these bigger projects. So, we all love showing the good, but when I was making edits, I wanted to, this edit for you guys, I was like, I remember I had folders that were like the good, the bad, and the ugly. So like the good, I think it's like, I think we're in this weird age of like, all that we show is good, right? Cause it's like social media, we just are the shit all the time, right? But I don't think that that's accurate. And, and what I do, a lot of it is bad and a lot of it is ugly too. <clears throat> and that's because I have to make a living as a photojournalist. So like, what you just saw is all I wanna do, but there's all kinds of other shit I have to do, right? So like, you know, <clears throat> I would say the bad, where I have my bad is that it's not terrible, it's like, Things that I do because I have to do them, where I have found a very quick way to bang out some photos for very low pay <laughs> and like get it done so I can like pay my bills. Um, you know, <clears throat> going on these like quick like feature hit shoots, like cool, I got to eat a bagel that day at least, you know? <laughs> like I got an awesome dessert this day. <laughs> like, you know, that's kind of like working for the paper, that's like it doesn't, it barely pays the bills if, you know, like that's just the reality of it. So, but I have to have like marketable stuff like this. It doesn't kill me. I can, if you notice, like I'm doing the same thing over and over. I'm literally just super tight. I'm not using it. I'm putting something in a window and I'm like, I'm trying to maximize. I'm trying to do stuff like if I'm not going to get paid a bunch, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time. Just like, and just like any job, right? I'm putting in tons of time on that other work because I love it. You know, um, I'm going to, and that's the, and the, you know, the, 
the project I showed you, that's actually the work that gets me the assignments because editors love the long form work and they want to see what you love and what your style is and then they'll hire you for crappy little shoots just to help you pay the bills. That's, oh, that's been my whole career, okay? It's really the long form work that has made it so I can survive. Um, even though the long form work doesn't maybe like make money, it does get me jobs. This is like, we just need a, we, this is a new restaurant and they have, uh, show some food that they do. And I'm trying to get in and out in like 20 minutes because I'm getting paid like a couple hundred bucks. Like I don't have time, you know, for, to, I can't like work for free. So, you know, when you, that, and that might sound, when you consider equipment, when you consider travel, it's like, I mean, you're, t you're not making much. So like, you know, I, I try, I have it now in my head because I've been doing this so long, like exactly what to do and how long I can spend, and if I don't get it, I'm out of there. But like at this point, I can kind of crank them out, you know? Just for stuff like this, it's not terrible, but am I gonna show this to anyone? No, I don't put this on my Instagram or anything, because like I wanna be showing my projects, because that's what I wanna be doing, you know? But I still have to do this stuff. It's like daily features, like over and over again, you know? Delicious food, though. And you know, I honestly, sometimes it's good to just have like almost like a brain break because it is hard to do like stuff you care about, longer form projects all the time. It's a lot of pressure, it's a lot of stress, right? Some, you, you get, you can, whereas you can, this is the craft of just newspaper photography right here. This is just like, how do I get this knocked out on a deadline, bye-bye, right? So it's knowing these rules and fundamentals help you just kind of nuts and bolts, pay the bills, get, you know, I can approach, I can approach the restaurant after and be like, hey, I got some nice photos, you wanna buy them? You know, like it, it, you know, all that stuff, right? That's like kind of how we survive. Um, and then, you know, this was actually, this felt like an important story, but it's for Smithsonian Magazine and they have a very straight way that they wanted it. So I'm happy to do that for them, you know, like even though, I, again, it's like I'm not really, the reason I have this in my bad pile is just because it's not me getting to do what I really wanna do. I'm still like pleasing a client, um, but it's still, you know, I wouldn't call it bad. I think like it was, it still felt important. It was about the remains of a soldier from World War II that they found like only this year. So that's, that's important. And like I wanted, the family wanted me there. It was an important historical moment, but I had to shoot it straight, you know? So I'm not getting to be all like kind of my way. You know, I'm having to go in and shoot these straight shots. That's what the client wants. That's what I go there and do. But it's different, right, than kind of what I was showing you before. So I think you do need to be a jack of all trades, and you've probably heard that before if you've heard any talk to, if you've heard any photojournalist talk. Um, but yeah, you have to know how to do these things. And weddings, lots of photojournalists make. Man, I like I hate weddings, but luckily, these are like photo people, so they were like have fun with it. So I got to at least like, I thought at least make some fun pictures. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're fun, you know? It's not exactly what I want to be doing with, with my life, but they were super cool, so we had a good time. And at least I got to be reasonably artsy and like do stuff like that, which was fun, you know? Um, and then there is the ugly. I had to, just to like survive like this year, because it's just, you know, editorial photography, less and less money every year, guys. Um, I literally had to teach myself how to do like HD real estate shots. This shit definitely is hiding on my hard drive. But I was like, I'm like hitting up like my, like, you know, realtor buddy I know, hey, you need real estate photos? Like I need to make money. 
So like I like taught myself how to do this on YouTube. And I was like, okay, here's an HD shot. Now I know how to do this. Like just trying to figure out whatever I have to do to pay the bills, straight up. And you know, that's just kind of the reality of it. Horrible, this is the shit I really hate. So bad. Like rich crypto people like at a cocktail party, okay? But it pays like as much as working probably 10 shoots for the Chronicle in like two hours. So like you just do what you have to do, right? I mean like this crypt crypto guy that like wanted portraits of himself looking cool. I mean, you can't make this shit up, right? Like this, and I'm just like, sure, I'll make you look cool, man. Let's go. <laughs> like, it's like more second than shooting second for a wedding, just like to like basically as an hourly employee, just because I have to get paid. And I'm and I'm like, you know, that's just I'm constantly just like doing whatever I have to do. This, if I had if if I had known I was gonna take have to take pictures like this like 15 years into my career still. I would have been like, what else am I gonna do with my life? But, but this is like a fundraiser, yay! You know, like so bad, oh my God. Can't believe I showed you guys that. So, <laughs> what, I, what do I do when I'm having to do horrible stuff like this to actually stay motivated and, and like remain happy and like artistically inspired is, is like try to find, you know, it's the personal project, but it's also for me, and I think everyone has to find their way, but I, I work a lot on uh, native lands with, and I teach kids photo, and for me, that just makes me happy. Like, I love seeing the work. So this is all work that, the, that, that my kids made. This is not work by me. Um, and, and, you know, so we do workshops with these kids, but seeing the raw take that they have on creating work like inspires me. So I have found that's become important um, to me, like, and for me to keep making work and stay happy. So this is, this is all work that the kids made. It's just like, it always blows me away, like how good, like when you have like unfiltered raw, like vision of, of like youngsters and how they can just make art, it shocks me. <laughs> like, so just, yeah, it keeps me inspired is what it does. I mean, that's such a dope photo. I mean, and then we also do some collaging with the kids um, and bring in other types of visual artists. And something that I have definitely found, this is while working with, I've worked, I've taught quite a bit in juvenile, juvenile facilities and I've taught in places where just people aren't getting much traditional education. Um, when you're teaching in visual medium, like these kids excel and like, you know, and, and it's a language that people understand and just like, and they've never been taught, they've like, people have been, they've been getting told they're supposed to learn a certain way. And as soon as you start doing stuff that, that their brains get, and I was the same way, like I just, I'm a visual person and I had a lot of trouble in school until I was like doing visual stuff like in college. Um, so it's just incredible to see their visual literacy though. Um, and they're just like making all this dope stuff. Like as soon as, you know, like, these are kids who are like, I suck at school. And then they like crank out this, this like really deep, like if you look deep into this, there's so much going on. Um, and then I also teach at, Jace, at the junior college in Santa Rosa. So these are like kind of like, these are mostly writers that are learning to shoot. Um, and that also keeps me inspired. I just really enjoy working with them. And so it's, you know, more traditional. These are, these are college, college kids, um, but they make some beautiful stuff. Then just kind of what I want to show you is that there is kind of like a hybrid of like sometimes I get work that is both kind of 
my, my personal vision, and it's still assignment work. So you know, there's that longer form documentary project. But to bring it back to, there's also a few good little gems throughout any year. So this was an assignment for ProPublica that I had to shoot anonymous, um, which can be very challenging, right? Trying to get across a mood, um, trying to get across a person's character in a way that still doesn't show uh, their, who they are. He was like a suicide risk, um, and so we, it was, I had to be very careful. Um, and, and like what we ended up doing with this, which was like outside of the traditional like doctrine of journalism, and it's outside what I was taught, was I, I basically, I, I, like, I went to the editors on this and I was like, <clears throat> we have to include him in the decision making on what <coughs> pictures get used. Which is like, you know, I don't think you're gonna do that every time, but like, I, I, that's something you have to fight for. I mean, like, you would think that that would be common sense, especially when you're talking about suicide risk. Um, but I wanted him to feel empowered. Okay, he, you know, like I wanted him to feel like he had some say. And so, you know, I brought him in on a meeting with my photo editor. We went through photos. There was one or two that he, you know, that he just wanted to be able to say no and good for him, you know? Like it was just giving him that say. And it made him very happy with the experience. Um, he was someone who got scammed for his life savings. Um, and like, and he was like very ashamed of that. <coughs> This is actually, I actually have them in the shower here. So like, it's like shower sliding door. So I was trying to find ways to be creative with obscuring his identity, right? But yeah, this, th that did start a conversation. I mean like, and luckily a previous photographer I worked with had paved the way where they had done something similar previously in the year because that's a fight like sometimes, um, and a traditional newspaper probably is going to try to say no. ProPublica needed to be a little more sensitive to that because of the type of organization they are. Um, so we were able to do that. And then this was um, for New York Times, for the New York Times, uh, this was a, this was like one of the first like African American communities like up in, up in the mountains of Northern California that had been there for forever and it burned down. Um, this is, a, this is an, an example of the paper honestly didn't care that much and didn't want me to go for more than like a day, but to me it felt really important. So I, I put in a lot of extra work to try to make images in my style that felt good to me because I wanted to reflect that this was important. I wasn't, even though I wasn't, so this is the opposite of that, just getting that photo that big one getting out quick. Even though I wasn't really getting much, I felt like I, that these folks deserved my time, you know? Um, so these are kind of some pictures from there. But you, you can see the difference in style, right? Like, so this is back to like my vision of things, of how I like to shoot. But it was still, those were still quick assignments, okay? Then this is kind of the, almost the happy medium. Um, this was, so I ended up, and this is rare, but I got assigned to shoot for the Wall Street Journal to shoot uh, Wood Street as it, Wood Street was, the, which was the largest um, homeless encampment in the, or un, excuse me, unhoused encampment in the, 
in the state at one point before it got liquefied, before they freaking kicked everyone out, right? But I was working with an editor who understand I was gonna, that I was gonna, this was gonna take a lot of time and that I wasn't just gonna go down there and start knocking out photos. I was gonna have to spend days getting to know folks if we were gonna do something that wasn't just exploitive. So like, I was able to work on this over a long period of time, which is, you know, it's kind of rare in the newspaper business. Um, but I got to spend time with folks and I got to shoot it in my style um, while kind of still being on assignment. And I, I had like two days no shooting for every day I was shooting, which is like, I mean, that's just unheard of these days, like that they were willing to do that for me, but that's what it was gonna take to kind of get access and like actually hang out with folks. When you do uh, longer projects like these, do you usually have a point of contact you start out with, or are you just like starting out not knowing anybody? It's definitely, it can definitely go one way or the other. Sometimes uh, writers can be a great resource. They've maybe made some phone calls already, um, but often they aren't even there. Um, so maybe I just have a phone number or two. I think I, here I had one, well, at least I had one person to meet because I wasn't just going in cold like some asshole, right? I wasn't just running down there with my cameras and sticking it in people's faces, right? I had someone who at least was meeting me out front um, who was known in that community, and that was a contact that I got from the writer. And then they, and at least then I had someone to make some introductions. Hey, like this is, and, and I'm still not just like, hey. Yeah. I'm still like, how's it going? Like, nice to meet you. This is what I'm here for. Like, and, and can I just hang? Like, you know, um, especially when you're talking about this type of issue. But you can see that I'm, again, I'm kind of leaning back. Like I was, I was, I was shooting my personal project and I'm uh, during this time. So like, you know, I'm using, for me, what I do is I have like a set of like, my quick hit work cameras and then I have like my old school like manual focus lenses that I use that I just really like that help me shift gears in my head because you can see like it's a completely different visual approach this is like this is how I want to be shooting all the time um, and I was but I but it takes time but you can see more of the like layering that's more similar to um, kind of some of those paintings I showed you and things like that This is Lydia, um, and this was how, something that I think was really important is just like, at this point, I'm basically asking people how they wanna be represented. Um, I think that this is an issue where there's just way too much exploitation of just photographing like poor people in the world, and it doesn't help anyone. So like, you know, Lydia, she was like, okay, it's time to take my picture, and it was because they were about to evict her, and she like, she had seen me so often, she was like, let's do my photo now. And I was like, let's go, and there was like, police like behind us, you know, and I'm, and I'm photographing her with her dog, but she at least got to feel like she got her story out there before they booted her. And like, that's why I was there, you know? And did the cops meet for you? They did, yeah. They don't, yeah, the one, we're the only, we, we're like, we do have some power when we have a camera in that scenario. The cops were trying to not look bad, for sure. This is Ramona, and this is like, you know, this is actually a mural on her house that she had lived in under that freeway for eight years, and it's a mural of her father, and this is before they knocked that whole thing down. At the end of that project, and this, this is where we'll kind of 
wrap up is in this last series of images, but um, I almost found like, you know, I was feeling really down. I was having like some, you can only see so much suffering, right? And, and so I needed for myself to find someone that was like gonna make it out. And like, like, so this was Kelly and I didn't know she was gonna make it out, but I just like loved Kelly. And I was like, Kelly, I'm gonna hang out with you. Whenever I'm not photographing with someone else, I gotta just kick it with you. And like, she's just a sweetheart. And you know, I really wanted her to succeed and get out of there um, and, and like, well, and find housing, you know? Because um, people were just getting kicked out onto the street. But um, I was shooting that broader essay, but I was coming back to one person and almost doing a traditional narrative piece with her. Like, you know, as she was, so I was kind of like in my downtime, I was just, this is her like getting all her stuff and trying to move it to somewhere else. But this is almost like that following one person traditional doc. Like, so, you know, there's different types of doc, right? This is when she, she did get into a place and this was like one of her only possessions was this soaked mattress because they had just been like thrashing people's stuff and just throwing it in the garbage, right? So like anything she couldn't fit in her car. This was after a long day of just like trying to get her into this place all day in the rain. Yeah, I was. I was also like, I was having a bit of an ethical conflict where it was like, how much do I help? I need to photograph. I kept asking her like what she was cool with. She was like, just do your, do your thing. Like, don't worry about it. Because I, I kept like feeling bad. I was like, let me like help you move this shit. And I would help where I could, but then she's like, no, do, take your photos. Like, she felt that was more important. But I was like, I, I, was, I was having the conversation, I guess. Um, and then what I've been doing with some of my pieces is just kind of like trying to write to some of it because of to work through my own feelings. So <clears throat> what I wrote with this piece um, was, Dear Kelly, <clears throat> there is a strength seared deep in the eyes of one who has steeled themselves against powerlessness. The taking of that which you love by those who know only to devour, to destroy it's a strength my grandmother has, a strength I immediately knew in you. Everyone calls you mom at Wood Street because you are the mom they all wish to have. There with your last smoke, no matter how cold and frozen your morning was, no matter how much your bones hurt, never told you how selfishly I needed you to be okay, how the years of shit I've seen have no place to go, how I wish I could stop caring so it could stop hurting. I needed a win for you, for us. <clears throat> the mattress will dry, the pups asleep with fat, warm bellies, and maybe the furnace will burn a few of our darkest days away and leave only smiles. All right, that's it. Okay. Brian? Any more questions? What, what do you think is more valuable for these subjects that they get from doing the work, like getting paid for us? It's just like sharing their stories? It's been, I think, like, honestly, my honest opinion, I think when I got into journalism in general, you know, we all get into it with these ideas that we're going to, like, change shit, right? That's, why else would you do this work? 
the things that have gotten me through was just like little relationships I have with people where they feel like they, like, like they matter. Like really that, I think that is what we really get at the end of the day. Like the times I've just sat with people and they've told me their life story and they're just like, they just want someone to care. Like that has been the real takeaway, like where people just feel important, you know? Um, a lot of times when we go to publish, it ends up being a letdown. I mean, like, you know, the Wall Street Journal ran like a, one page. I mean, I worked on that piece on Wall Street for like six months, you know? I mean, like, like that's not going to be where the success lies, honestly. Um, but I had some really incredible friendships that I made there. Um, and, I, and, you know, I did my best and everybody there, I feel like, was happy I was there. And, 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 and when it came to Wood Street in particular, like we were actually like kind of almost like a physical barrier between them and the police because if there was no press presence, like they would have been getting beat down. Like that's just, so like that was, that was also a legit, like real danger for people was like, as long as we were there, they felt safer. Um, you know, so there's, you know, I don't know that, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's just what I've, what I think the real takeaway is these small little victories. Um, at the end of the day, that's how it feels, anyways. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you so, have context? Uh, oh, Either one. Oh, here you go first, just because so you have. Do you travel back and forth, or do you end up staying in one location for an, an entire time or extended period of time? How do you manage that? Early in my career, I would really like go somewhere and just stay um, because I was younger. I didn't have a family. Um, and I would just really post up in places like um, the first real long piece that I thought about was about uh, the Colorado River, okay? But, but it was about the people. Um, and I mean, I would just like go and stay in like the crappiest motels and like and just try to like survive in a place as long as I could and like and be seeking out images um, basically till I ran out of money. Um, and I would be and I would reach out to publications and be like, hey, I'm in Vegas, but but I would be like, I'm in Vegas, like I would stay near Vegas because maybe there'd be an assignment. Um, but I was making editors aware of my project all along so then they could feel like they were a part of it. So like editors would be, editors of publications would be like, they feel like they had some buy-in because they cared about the issues that I cared about. And they would be like, oh, well go shoot me this crappy portrait for a couple hundred bucks. Well guess what, that just bought me another few days on my project, right? So I was always kind of like hustling like that now, family is a bit different, um, and I've been doing it for so long, I really try to maximize my time. So like, now I'll go, um, what I did on my faith project a lot of the time was I would be like, I, I would make myself available in the valley to editors that I have long-standing relationships with now, because I've been doing this so long. Um, so when I would get a, an assignment in the valley, just like some one day, we need a portrait of this person, then I would go stay for five or six days, um, and I would work on my project. And then I would come home. But I would really try to pack those days. Like I would connect with everybody I could connect with and maximize and really grind those days out. But I just couldn't spend more time because I have a kid and I got to get home. So like, yeah. So now, now I did the faith piece in like uh, mostly like five or six day jumps. And then I'd come home and then I would try to work out my next five or six day hit and I'd go again. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, so I can tell that these projects impact you emotionally. I mean, anybody with it looks at your work. Does it ever get to the point where it's overwhelming and you have to step away from it and maybe come back later? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, yeah, I've had burnout multiple times. 
uh, yeah, earlier in my career, I think one of, I had to learn how to, um, there's a lot of things I had to learn, but how to deal with it emotionally was one of the biggest things I had to learn. Um, that approach of being totally all in on a project, which is what I did on my first two projects, which was like all in, like everything I had, everything else was getting blown up, like relationships, forget it, like every, that, which is like, I mean, I, I, I think it's what it took for me to get there, but it was so unhealthy, right? Like, I came home and had breakdowns, like, you know, like, um, and then had to, like, not shoot. I mean, I, I had, after my river project I worked on for two years, I just, like, stopped. Like, I just, like, went back to bartending. I was like, I can't do this. This is terrible. Like, I just, like, and one of my buddies, like, had to kind of, like, get me back into photo. He was like, we're going to go on a cross-country trip. You're just going to take pictures. Um, he had just, I was like, I was just burned out. I was done. Um, so, yes, that happens. And now... I've definitely tried to learn that I need to, that relationships and my personal health are super important if I want to have any longevity doing this type of work. So you know, like um, nurturing relationships, very important. Can't let them just blow up. Never worth it. And then like paying attention to my personal health, like even like the writing has really helped me. Um, like I've been writing letters to like different um, like moms that I've photographed, and I've found that it has like let out a lot of shit that was in there that I didn't know was in there. Um, and made me just f at least feel okay. Because um, sometimes I just don't know why, but I'll just be like really like feeling awful after some of this stuff is the honest truth. Um, so finding other, some of these ways, and for me it's been some of the writing has really helped. And then lots of self-care. I just like, you know, like have a surf and go fish with my kid and stuff. The usual stuff. Mm -hmm. So actually, a lot of the a, a lot of my personal projects, especially nowadays. So early in my career, they were just like all in here. I was like, this is something that I feel is important. Now, like that faith project, I just got like a run of the mill assignment to photograph um, like a a preacher that was in the valley. Um, and it was like in the it was in during COVID, and I was like, whoa, like now I have like a sense for you know, when I stumble across something that feels more important and I pay attention. Um, but I'm also always, always like maintaining contacts with people on all assignments because like for instance with that, like, you know, and maintaining good relationships because all this work, just regular assignments that I've done in the Valley, now I can kind of like lean into those relationships when I wanted to turn this into a bigger project. So that preacher, we got along really well when I just went and took his picture. I was like, hey, can I come back? He's like, come back whenever you want, you know, like, and then he's introducing me to people, you know. Um, so it started as an assignment, and then, and then I pitched it. Um, then I pitched it for grant funding, um, and, and then was able to get grant funding to continue that project. So, but a lot of my projects start off like that, where I'll get introduced on assignment, and then I'll just, but I'm always kind of like looking for, hey, like, you know, is this, is this something that I could keep going with? Because at least then I have a few photos to start to with my pitch, right? Mm -hmm. Have there been experiences while you're working on a project where you feel unsafe? And then how do you like, get through that experience? Uh, uh, yeah, plenty of times. I mean, like, so I worked on stuff um, about the drug war in Mexico for years um, where I was definitely unsafe. <laughs> 
and I've had times when, I mean, I got taken out to the desert and like almost put in a hole, you know, like I've gotten taken into back alleys by really big gangsters, like, you know, like, like sketchy shit happens. Um, and I mean, like I can just give you individual, both of those two times I just mentioned, like the, 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 the time where I got taken into an alley in Mexico City, it was, there was a really, like one of the hard, hardest dudes on the block there, I had given him a print of him and his son. I had brought him a print because he was like a total badass and I wanted him to be okay with me. Um, and you know, he was like, that dude's cool, what the fuck are you guys doing? You know, like it saved me, right? Um, the other time when I got taken out into the desert, um, we had, it was actually, we had been teaching kids in the, in the neighborhood their photo. And like, uh, there was a cop who knew that and he came out and their cops and robbers are kind of the same. So it wasn't like because he was a cop that that was getting me out of it. But he came out, he chased us in the back of a truck and was like, that guy was like teaching kids in this community, like what are you doing? Those were real things that happened to me. Um, and both times, you know, it was because I was, it was because I kind of had already done some groundwork that it saved my ass. Um, yeah, so things happen. I mean, that was stuff that happened to me when I was a lot younger. I think I'm not into like taking risks like that anymore. Um, but yeah, that is, so stuff can happen like that. So have you ever had subjects that tried to take advantage of you? Yes. Um, sometimes some interesting things happen when you work with people for a really long time. Um, I've had, like, you know, I had like some, they're not, well, like, I worked with a group of like 17 to 24 year old guys that were incarcerated, and then as they got out, several of these kids, like, we just became friends, you know? Um, and I just wanted to connect them with anything that they needed. Like, and, you know, so, but there was always, this weird thing would happen. It happened once or twice. A couple of, couple of guys, we just became homies and it was all good. And like one guy in particular, we kind of like, it, it started getting to, into strange ethical areas of him like kind of like asking me for stuff. Um, and, and so, you know, I kind of had to be like, okay, like I need to put up some barriers here. Um, and, and also at that point, I'm like not taking photos anymore. Um, and, you know, I mean, but have I ever, uh, other part of this question is have I ever given anything to anyone, right? Like, I mean, like, because, you know, there's always this question of like, are you like paying people for pictures, et cetera, right? The traditional journalism doctrine is absolutely not. I was in Bolivia and there were people that were like starving that I was photographing. I photographed them. I, I had met them, I had photographed them for a few times and then I bought their kids diapers and I bought groceries. Why? Because I'm a human being, right? I mean, like, I am okay with that, and like, and I didn't do it in like a way that was a trade. I know that they knew that. Like, we had already become friends, but I'm also not going to sit there and like let them be hungry. Like, there's just no way. Um, so, like, I think if you if you know if there's like a transaction happening, you can feel it, right? So, I think if you feel that that's happening, that's when you go, okay, like this, that I'm not okay with that. That's like where the ethics lie. And these are, you know, these are like gray areas, like where you have to rely on your feeling in your chest, right? Like. Um, but there's, yeah, but we're all, you know, these are all conversations to have. I think like whenever it comes to these types of things, it's like, are you willing to be open about how it went down or are you hiding something? That's always the question I have. Cause I'm very open, like, and I've made mistakes too. And I'm open about those mistakes. And then I think that's okay. 
If you're hiding something, though, you're, you're probably being unethical, right? <laughs> Other questions, y'all? Yes? How do you approach a subject when you're like new and you don't have anything to show and you don't, and you're not hired by anyone? Like if you had an idea and you want to create something, how do you approach So I think there is like a misconception that like, be, like, for instance, like, because I were, have done this for so long or, like, I'm there with a publication, that, that there are times that that can make it easier. I'm not going to lie and say no, but most of the time, the majority of, like, I'm not walking in like, like, you know, hey, like, I'm important. Like, I'm with this publication. I need to take your photo. It's really like, hey, how are you? Like, just like any one of y'all should be doing. Like, just trying to connect with people um, is how you get access with people and have them allow you to photograph them. The only times that I'm really like name dropping a publication is, is if I'm on like a deadline because I'm like, I have to get in and out. If I'm, if I'm able to spend time with people, I'm not going in there and being like, oh, I'm like with Nat Geo or something. No, I'm like, hey, I'm here really interested in labor in this community. Like, can you tell me about it? So like, I, you know, I don't think that you need that. I don't think you need it for access to like have backing like that. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> I find myself awkward, it's like I'm supposed to be photographing, like what do I do? Like you just kind of like make those conversations and like build those relationships basically in, those, in that time? Yeah, hanging out, like trying to be present mm-hmm. is what I try, you know, I'm just trying to be like present and like part of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean like, I still have to remind myself to shoot sometimes because people do want you there to photograph at that mm-hmm. point probably, but you know, it's just remembering not to take photos all the time, mm-hmm. like and and being aware of what it's being aware of what other people want, you know, like instead of just thinking about what you need um, and, and being ready to just like kind of hang and shoot the shit. Like I think that that is key um, if you really want to like actually learn anything, you know. Um, would you, like the letters that you wrote, were those kind of like journal entries for you or would you actually give those to the people that you were writing the letters to? So I only kind of just started doing them. And so far, they've just been like journal entries. But then I started feeling like they were very therapeutic and that I maybe wanted to share them with the people. So it's very in process. And now I have like a few. So I'm maybe going to put them together. Maybe there'll be something I share with people. I don't really know yet. I'm kind of still in this exploratory phase of it, I think. Um, But I do feel like I want to share that one in particular with her. Um, And there's a few others that I probably will end up wanting to share. But yeah, I kind of like, I just wrote wrote that one. So I I haven't shared it yet. Of yeah. the photograph or photographing the subject, changing the subject. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I was, so I was, and I think this almost goes back to like, what's the real takeaway that people get? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. these are the things that stick with you is when something real happens. Like, I've been, I was in Venezuela photographing um, in this really hard neighborhood to work and, you know, really, I mean, Ven- Caracas is like a crazy town. Um, and folks that actually were living like, around this trash dump because it was the only space that they could build. And basically the local 
they had been trying to get the local municipality to clear this area just so they could so that they could make like a soccer baseball field and they'd been trying to get that done for years and then like they heard that there was photographers there and all of a sudden they like rolled the bulldozers out and cleared it and made like they had all of a sudden they had a play area for their kids and like they could all play soccer and like everyone came out and it was like dude we did that you know like how cool is that so yeah no there's times that you can and to me like i'm good with that like i'm good with affecting yeah. something in that way you know even though i think like you know we get trained that we're supposed to be this fly on the wall but like no nah, dude like i'm very happy that that, that those folks got that I don't know that it does. I mean, I guess like, I think it makes it into the stories that I end up sharing with people. Um, people heard about that yeah. and, and, and in, um, in that barrio and then like wanted to, they were all like really happy about it. It definitely like, it made it into like the story of what was going on. It also, it helped, I mean, shoot, people were like so stoked on us being there after that, right? So like, I mean, it definitely, it, it made it into like real life, you know, the real life story. Yes. Um, thank you for being here. Um, this is all learned a lot from you tonight. I wanted to ask um, what cameras, camera or cameras you're using and why mm -hmm. do you like them? What do you like about them? Yeah, so I mean like, and I don't, like I think sometimes it doesn't matter. For me it actually does. I think you're going to get different answers from different photographers. My, I have like, I have my like Nikon digital SLRs like for like when I get a daily news assignment, they are fast, and it could be anything, Nikon, Canon, whatever you're using, right? They're big, they don't, and you know, they're not, you're not hiding them. Like, you know, they're, they're, I'm definitely there as a photographer, which kind of helps, I think, when I'm on quick turnaround, because I'm like there to get a job done. I'm just like, get me, I gotta go, 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 and get it in by two o'clock. Um, and then I have my longer form dock kit, which is like this big, and I have my Leica, um, and then I have a then I have a, uh, a Nikon mirrorless that I use a an old manual focus lens on, so it, the, the whole kit's small, and that's it. So like I you know I have a 28 and a 50 um, in my little dock kit, and then my like news kit I, I have like bigger lenses. I I still I'm not the like I like primes I like smaller lenses, so I'm not using like the big 7200 or anything. Um, I have like a 20 I, I still I shoot very wide, so I have a 24. 5085 that's like my news kit um, but you know a lot of people will just have like wide angle zooms um, but yeah it's it's does being discrete matter or not those are two very different approaches um, I can go hang out with my dock kit and no one even and I'm not like sticking out I mean it's a bag this big you know I can walk you know through a bad neighborhood like that and not be worried about it you know um, and yeah, I don't, I'm just not sticking out. I can be kind of like hanging and just chilling. And then maybe that camera comes, people just don't even notice when those little cameras come out. Um, it makes it much easier to just kind of like interact with people and make more organic pictures versus like, boom, here's my big giant cannon. You know, so, but, the, but sometimes, you know, each one has its place. It depends on what you're doing. So I have those two, most importantly, it helps me shift mentally. Like I, I kind of have this, like when I'm doing my, slow manual focus gear that's my thing i like it and i'm like missing photos and i don't care because i have all the time in the world and i'm just hanging out with people um you know that's like a much slower process so it helps me slow down and i know i'm like doing my thing and then i have my like turn and burn set up that i'm just like shoot 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 go so i kind of try to differentiate the gear
Very hard. I mean, I think like one of the main pieces of advice there, I mean, there's lots of different kinds of advice, but I really think you need to have like, my, just like nuts and bolts to me, I'm like, you got to have like two good stories in the bag. Like people don't care. I think this old school way of like, you need to have like 20 single pictures that show you can do one of everything. Like you can show, you can take a sports photo and like a portrait and a, that isn't reality. Like people were like, what do you care about? At least one good story. Like I think you definitely have to have one good story that shows your vision, your style, what you care about as a human being and, and what it looks like. And then I'm like kind of show that you can do it again before anyone's going to take you seriously was my experience. Like I had like, you know, a big fat project I worked on. It won awards and shit. I thought I made it. I was like new in the business. I was like, I'm fucking there. And then people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did that once. Who cares? And then it, was, it wasn't until I like did it again on my own, because I was like, no, I'm going to keep doing this. Then I found people started taking me seriously. And because it was like, oh, OK, wait, you did that again. Now maybe you actually are doing this. Um, so the, but it's those personal projects. Like, that's all that anyone wants to see. Um, I would do the trips to New York and just try to like meet up with people. Like, um, you know, meet up. I was just, I mean, shoot, sending emails to any editor you could think of. Most of them just don't reply, obviously, but then like maybe someone does. Um, and then trying to like, you know, leverage any connection that you make and like, but yeah, I would, you, it, that's what you do. You like kind of have to go and bang on those doors, just like getting any job and showing that work. Um, but yeah, but they want to see like, if you're only going to show me one project, what is it? Or one thing, what is it? And it better, you know, it needs to be something that's very you. Um, because then they can take that and they can be like, oh, okay, I know that person's vision. Now I can use them for this. You know, and that helps because then you can kind of, it is a very small world and you can kind of like build on that. Um, that's kind of, I don't know if I, I hope I answered your question a little bit. Okay. As an editor, I'll 100% back that up. The first thing I look at is the personal projects. And as a photographer, if you're showing your personal projects, ideally that is the work you're getting hired to make. Yep. Rather than what they want, you are getting hired to make the kind of photos you want to make. So if you push, your personal projects onto editors, then that's what they're going to know you for, and that's what they're going to hire you for. Yep. If you're lucky. Yep. If it's a good editor. If it's a good and editor. There are shit editors. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. There's not. I mean, we try to like, and you try to hook up with the editors. Like the best long-term relationships are the editors that you end up getting along with, right? I have editors I can't work with. They drive me nuts. And then I like, I was like. Mark, I want to work with him. He's the shit. Like, you know, like there's people I enjoy working with. Just like any job though, right? You end up like finding people that you gel with and you can bullshit with and you can be real with and that's who you want to work with, right? So like you kind of like, I try to focus, I guess my approach has been to focus on those people and like the people that I don't connect with personally. I'm not going to be fake about it because I do think a lot of people in, the in this industry will just like try to be like, because this person's an editor, they try to be their buddy, you know? Because, you know, but like those editors get so much of that, they can smell that shit a mile away. You know, so like I'm more interested in the people that I really actually have a connection with and I try to like really focus on them. You know, I, I, in the very beginning of my career, I was like bombarding everyone. But I'm also, you know, like I, the people I connected with were the ones I focused down on. Those are the ones I'm like remembering really to stay in touch with them and like make sure they know what I'm up to. 